Next Chapter Podcast. The 500. The 500. J.A.M. been walking us down through that 2012 edition, so it ain't nothing to new. Hundreds more to go and in need of a friend. The king of peace for Angelo. Talking the 500 until the end. Talking the 500 until the end. With my man J.M. On the 500. Talking the 500 until the end. Second Bob Dylan record for me. The second one I've listened all the way through. Gonna have to wait until the episode gets going before you find out how I feel. The song is Tweedly D and Tweedly Dumb. It's by Bob Dylan from his 2001 album, Love and Theft. It's also number 385 out of 500 on the 500 with Josh Adam Myers. What's up, Fleece Army? Guess what? We got a new president today. It's a whole new world, a new exciting point of view. No more tweeting or mistreating. Mexicans at the border. And if you voted for the other guy that's not in the office anymore, I feel for you too. But whatever, man. I'm happy. And you should be too because we got a brand new episode and it's Bob Dylan this week. Have you guys been watching the podcast? Because every Wednesday we publish the full episode on our Patreon. $5 a month to join the Patreon. If you are supporting the Patreon and the podcast, we appreciate it so much. And you get to support it by going to patreon.com backslash 500 podcasts. Join the movement. Videos on Patreon Wednesday. For everybody else on Thursday. And we got some really, really cool stuff planned on the Patreon. But you got to join because we got a lot of people uh, that work really hard on this. And, uh, you know, it's ad sales. No more Spotify. No more Spotify. We should go to Tidal. All right. Like I said at the beginning, Bob Dylan. Man, I don't know how I feel about this dude. I respect him. I am. I totally get it. Like, I get it. I'm not saying I don't get it. But I don't know if starting at the end was the way to go for me. But if you don't know about him, let's find out. Released September 11th of 2001 on Columbia Records. It's self-produced under the pseudonym Jack Frost. This is the 31st studio record by American singer-songwriter and voice of a generation, Bob Dylan. Now, before this one, if everybody remembers, we did Time Out of Mind. That was a record right before it. If you want to listen, I did it with Rita Wilson, and we did a big history of Bob Dylan. So listen to that, because I'm not going through it again. So producer Daniel Lenoir did both the highly successful 89 Dylan album, Oh Mercy, and 97's Time Out of Mind, which went on to win Grammy for Album of the Year. So with this solid career resurgence, his next album was very, very highly anticipated. But due to the often strained relationship between him and Lanois, by the way, I want to let you guys know, I'm 
like really had to practice to get this guy's last name, Lanois, because I would have called it Lenois if somebody didn't tell me ahead of time. Dylan chose to go back to self-producing under a pseudonym, Jack Frost. So with Dylan on vocals, guitar and piano, and his touring band, a multi-instrumentalist, Larry Campbell, guitarist Charlie Sexton, bassist Tony Garnier, drummer David Kemper, percussionist Clay Myers, spelled my way, M-E-Y-E-R-S, and an added keyboardist, Augie Myers, once again spelled like me, like the lemon, all the songs were recorded in only 12 days. His engineer, Chris Shaw, was surprised at how quickly Dylan would try and then abandon an arrangement on his way to what would fit the vocal and lyric. According to Shaw, Dylan would say, what's the tempo? Let's do it in F and drop the tempo down and do it like a western swing tune. And I want the drummer to play brushes, not drums. And suddenly the song was completely different. Nothing was set in stone until he found the key, tempo, and style that fit that vocal and the lyric. In describing this album, Dylan said, basically, the songs deal with what many of my songs deal with, which is business, politics, and war, and maybe love interest on the side. The whole album deals with power. If life teaches us anything, it's that there's nothing that men and women won't do to get power. You know, that's just true. The album deals with power, wealth, knowledge, and salvation, the way I look at it. I think you're right, Bob. And at 63 years old, Dylan expressed those views like a travelogue through America's pre-rock and roll music history, including Chicago blues, country swing, ragtime, rockabilly, tin pan alley, torch songs, and the stuff of vaudeville, burlesque, and minstrel shows. And it's from a book about the racist 19th century musical art form that Dylan got the album's title. Despite the unfortunate release date of September 11th, Love and Theft was well-received, reached number five on the Billboard 200 chart. It was another critical success, topped the year's best records in many publications, including The Village Voice and Rolling Stone magazine. And it won that year's Grammy Award for Best Contemporary Folk Album. I mean, if Dylan's releasing a record, it's going to win something. That's just how, at this age, that's how it goes. As for the guest today, I hate to say that I, I, I knew of the band, but now I'm a fan. So I'm just going to say that as a blanket statement across all the bridges. My guest today is one of the co-founding members of the LA punk band X, the one and only John Doe. If you don't know X's music, just start at Los Angeles and fucking go because that record slaps balls it is awesome they just released their first new album in 35 years last april during lockdown it's called alphabet land and it's critically hailed across the board he's also uh part of the rockabilly group the knitters uh he's an actor uh he's dude he was in fucking roadhouse roadhouse with Swayze. And John and my buddy Tom DeSavia released two books, More Fun in the New World and Under the Big Black Sun, which covers the L.A. punk scene from basically 1977 to 1987. Man, oh, man, oh, Shevitz. This episode is a doozy. I had such a good time recording with them. You guys are going to love it. If you're a Dylan fan, you're going to dig it. If you're an X fan, you're really going to. Rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to The 500. Listen free on all platforms. If you listen on Apple, leave us a five-star rating and leave a review. 
Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media and go to my website, joshadammyers.com to find podcast links, to find shows, clips, everything. All there, joshadammyers.com. Email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com if you have any questions or concerns or just want to tell us to fuck off. Follow the Facebook group, 500 Podcasts with Jam, run by Crazy Evan. And for all things 500, go to our website, the500podcast.com. Well, nothing left to say, but hey, Bob Dylan, do you want to take this? Here we go with number 385 out of 500. Love and theft by me, Bob Dylan. What's up, Fleece Army? This episode is brought to you by the Kratom experts at Super Speciosa. If you haven't heard of Kratom, it is an herbal supplement much like CBD. Instead of coming from the hemp plant, Kratom is from a plant related to the coffee tree. And Kratom is a natural energy booster without the jittery feeling you get from coffee or energy drinks. And it's also helpful in recovering after a long day or a tough workout. Two years ago, I started taking it in the morning, and I am telling you the focus that I get from it, the energy that I get from it, the lack of anxiety that I get from it, incredible. For me, Kratom is like the holy grail of supplements. Green in the morning, red at night to go to sleep. The truth is, other Kratom brands out there are putting a bunch of junk in their stuff. Super Speciosa contains only one ingredient, and that is Kratom leaves crushed up into powder, Boom, simple, done. Every single batch is put through a natural cleaning process to eliminate germs and to protect you, the consumer. The Kratom is then tested, sifted, blended, and screened for potency and carefully packaged in a lab-grade facility. If you are buying Kratom from your local store, that is a big mistake. You will save yourself a ton of money and get better Kratom by shopping with Super Speciosa. Plus, they're offering our listeners in the Fleece Army 20% off the first order. So go to GetSuperLeaf.com slash 500. Once again, GetSuperLeaf.com slash 500 and get 20% off your next order. We're going to post the link in our show notes so it's easy for you guys just to click and take advantage of this offer. We thank Super Speciosa for sponsoring this podcast. It helps me. It can help you too. Try it out. I, I, I don't happen to be on tour right now. I don't think anybody's on tour right now. Well, you said you were in Austin. I haven't been out of... Well, anyway, let's go. No, no, no. I was in... No, we're recording. This is the show. We actually started without you even knowing it as soon as you shit on me being on tour and you being in Austin. But I'll be back. I'll be back for Moon Tower Comedy Festival in September of 2021, which uh-huh. uh, you'll be a guest to the come to the jam and come to the 500 taping and all the other shit I do. Uh-huh. All but, right. But you... But you ha- the only way I'll make it happen is you have to invite our mutual friend, Tom DeSavia. Oh, God. Yes. Everybody knows Tom DeSavia. Everybody knows Tom. And he's going to love that I'm name dropping him right off the jump. I don't, even, I don't even know how I became friends with him. You know what? You know what? He helped us book this show. We had some, we were trying to find, uh, I forgot, I forget what album. And it's just like the most random people in the music industry. He was just throwing up and he was like, what about this person? What about the basis for the Bengals? What about, and it's just like, dude, he knows everybody. Yeah. He's been in the freaking music business for 40, 30 some years, you know, that's insane because he looks like he's 30. (laughs) Right. I'll tell him you said that. Okay, good. Um, 
So, so yeah, let's get into it because this is a thickie of a record, man. This is, this is Bob Dylan. This is our second Bob Dylan record that we've done on the podcast. Um, you know, before I give my thoughts, you know, uh, Tom and our, and, and, and everybody has said that you are a huge Bob Dylan fan, much like everybody else. So why don't you take me, just take me right from the beginning. Tell me about the first time you heard Bob Dylan. Oh, uh, well, that's a long time ago because I'm 85. You know, I don't know. I look pretty good. I know I look really good for 85. Retinol, vitamin C oil. What are you doing, bro? Yeah, nothing. Um, <laughs> Living. Uh, it, it's really hard to get this stripe in my hair, though. Somebody asked me, is that dyed? And I said, no, you dumbass. Whatever. <laughs> um, you know, I had an older brother and I'm of a certain age. So I, I think, uh, you know, he's like traditional four years older and crap like that you know i i told your partner here that that uh i grew up in baltimore wait wait well i heard the i just heard the accent so so here's how we're going to test how how bad uh a baltimore accent you have say hall and oats (laughs) (laughs) if if it comes out like this if it comes out like hall and 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 eights hall and eights my favorite song is i can't go for that (laughs) no come on get out of here no, what are you talking I'm about? Going downtown. Are you going down the ocean? I'm going down Ocean City, you know. Dude, I hooked up with a girl from Ocean City once, and I swear to God, she said to me, let's go by the ocean. Let me give you a blowjob. I was like, what? Oh, a blowjob? <laughs> Yikes. No, I, 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 was, I was there in Baltimore in uh, uh, Fells Point back in, the, uh, back in the good old days when it, wasn't full of, when it was full of sailors and, and Greek crazy people and bums and all kinds of shit like that. It was awesome. It's still the same. I was just there yesterday. I was just there yesterday, bro. It got invaded. It got invaded by frat boys from Towson like years yep. and years ago. Yep. That, that's, that was whatever. me. It's, it's all good. But <laughs> uh, I think the first record I heard was probably uh, Highway 61 and then uh, Blonde on Blonde. But the one that, that uh, you know, was kind of like more my record because I was maybe 14 or something like that, was uh, John Wesley Harding. And that was the one that, that really, like, you know, hooked me and stuff. And then, of course, when I was, like, uh, you know, early, late late teens, early 20s, then I was listening to all the older stuff, you know, like um, Another Side Of and and uh, Bringing It Back Home and all that jazz. But, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, not a, um, I'm not a scholar of Bob Dylan. And, and I, I kind of resist that because there's plenty of, um, there's plenty of that. There's plenty of people that, that can do that and, and like that. And, and I don't, I, I think that, uh, you know, being a, a writer and a songwriter myself, I think that, that a lot of stuff Bob's doing is, uh, is just for the hell of it. And he's, and he's doing, it, he's doing it because it sounds good because it feels good. Cause he wants to just, you know, fuck with people and, and it's, it has meaning to him, but it's probably much more personal and, and different than the, than the meaning that, that is ascribed to it. Um, I, you know, not to say that, that he's not, you know, pulling out quotes and, and making mentions of people that is leaving it up in the air, leaving it to the, to the, you know, interpreter, whoever wants to, however people want to interpret it. Um, Cause I know for a fact that, that he, he kind of loves fucking oh, with 
people. Dude, dude, it's so funny that you said you said you jumped off uh, right off top by saying scholars because there are at least twenty websites that are dedicated to breaking down every lyric that he has ever done, and they're all conflicting. And one saying this is about God, and one saying nope, it's about a girl, and one saying no, it's about Jesus. It's just it's just all over the place. Um, I, so, so you started, you know, with the, the, the albums you mentioned uh, from my understanding, cause I'm not the biggest Bob Dylan fan. This is literally the second full Bob Dylan record I've ever listened to all the way through the, the first being time out of mind, the album right before this one. So, so you started right at, you know, all the stuff you mentioned are some of his greatest records. So now we've gotten 30 years. Am I right or wrong? 30 years into his career at this point when this record came out about that uh well 60 no it'd be more like 40 years so this was this was released in 20 like 9 11 2001 yeah so he was playing in the freaking early 60s so yeah so then why Almost so, 40 years so 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 i can see why people love the earlier stuff because I, I understand what's going on at the time and how ahead of his time he is but this older stuff so how do you feel about this record Oh, I think it's the, you know, this was the first time that he just trusted it himself because <laughs> according to, uh, you know, Chronicles, that book he wrote, uh, Daniel Lenoir was just uh, mean, <laughs> just downright cruel, you know, uh, making him like uh, question his ability and his purpose and songwriting and, and all that stuff. And it's like, uh, I, I actually hate Daniel Lenoir's production. I can't really? stay. Yeah. I think I think Daniel Lenoir is, is one of the only people that could make Emmylou Harris sound like she doesn't sing well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's so much compression. There's so much shit added onto it. You know, with Bob's voice and time out of mind, you know, he gets into like fucking Satchmo territory. And it's like, that ain't, you know, you don't have to do that. And, and so this, this record is where he like took the reins back, took his power back. And and anytime he's playing with um, with Charlie Sexton, uh, who's a pal of mine too, uh, it's better. I mean, when Charlie was out of the band, it was not as good. And when Charlie's back in the band, it's better because Charlie is uh, just gifted. And and he he let the band you know that he'd been playing with for some time then you know Tony Garnier and and uh, the rest of them he let them kind of realize his, you know, Bob's love of jump blues and, uh, you know, Delta blues and, and, you know, even older, uh, kind of, um, uh, Tin Pan Alley songs and, and stuff like that. So it's like, he's, you know, I was on some listening, uh, thing for, uh, um, for this last record that he did. And and someone had a had a pretty good point, which was uh, Uncle Bob's muse is history, you know, and it always has been. You know, he 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 wanted to be a a black sharecropper back in '64 <laughs> or '63, you know, when he's going out and playing folk songs in the you know like Woody Guthrie, um, and and that's why the Todd Haynes movie was so good because it was all these you know, different characters that, that he could inhabit. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, he, he, he's loving history. So he, this, this 
love and theft is kind of, to me, it's kind of like, I love this music and I can do it. I can do it in my own way and I can, I can, uh, you know, get a bunch of, uh, I don't know. Somebody said it was minstrel, uh, yeah. had a, had a, you know, a nod to, to like, uh, you know, emancipation, emancipation and, and minstrel show and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and he, you know, I think he like kind of embraced his, uh, his song and dance man, you know? Yeah. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal, the man, to Fat Mike from NoFX, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media. The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is, is a rock and roll city for sure. Yeah! 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 The Wrath of the Buzzer. WMMS. Cleveland. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles. The Wrath of the Buzzard. P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts. So I so so going with what you're saying, uh, he got the title for the record from Eric Lott's 1993 book *Love and Theft: Blackface Minstrelsy*, minstrelsy, and the American Working Class, which explored the racist, the racial and racist components of this popular American musical art form of the early 19th century. Which is funny that we're having that we're having you on to talk about that because on your first album Los Angeles uh which is still one of your most popular and uh you described uh, a racist character escaping the city's diversity with the type of language uh she would likely use and right before this we did Randy Newman's Good Old Boys which has which has a song Rednecks on it uh and he had said that he wished he could have had could have used another word uh, but for the recording and for the writing, it was truthful. And this, and then this also reminds me of uh, Bob Dylan's hurricane. Um, so, so before we get into this record, I feel like it's a perfect time to ask you because it, it's, you brought it up. Did people misunderstand the context on either side of the issue for Los Angeles? Uh, um, not up until about two or three years ago when, you know, uh, cancel culture uh, became so, um, influential you know and and i understand it and and it's you know the the whole purpose of of using the n-word in los angeles is to hold a mirror up to people it's like you see this this is what people are saying and this is still true and this is 1980 and what in the fuck are you doing about it and and you know are really this can is this still happening and and so uh Obviously, we weren't aware of of the uh, you know how hurtful it was um, for for a big group of people. I can't say that that X had a a, a huge uh, African American following, but there was a lot of diversity in the uh, in the L.A. punk rock scene. And it's like if you wanted to, if you wanted to suffer the abuse of being uh, associated with the punk rock scene, uh, you whatever else you were. You know, that's probably more than you're going to get as what whatever you are, you know, gay or, you know, whatever. So, uh, yeah. 
Uh, and at this point, we, we sing, uh, uh, she started to hate every Christian and Jew instead of N-word and Jew. But, just keep Jews. Make sure you keep Jews. That's the important part. We, we oh, yeah, it. yeah, yeah. Because everybody hates Jews. And, yeah. But I, 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 don't, I, I, don't feel, I don't feel bad about it because at that point, there was, there was something within um, artistic expression that, you know, if you were, you know, if you were adopting it, if you were saying it through a character, that, that it, it was acceptable, just like some, you know, some of uh, Robert Maplethorpe's photographs were unacceptable, or, you know, certain books are, get banned from libraries because they're, you know, too sexy or, or whatever. Um, I, I think it's, you know, I get it and, and I'm, and I'm down with it because I, I want to be, you know, part of the solution, not part of the problem, but there's a, um, yeah, it's, it, it's a, it's a weird place to be. I mean, there's things that there, you know, like, I mean, Blazing Saddles by Mel Brooks. It's, it was a hysterical movie, but I, I remember in 2001, right around the time this album came out, you know, uh, we were watching it and, and, uh, there was one of my friends, uh, my roommates for black friends saw it and he was just like, Jesus Christ. And I was like, well, I, I mean, but they're making fun of the, those people, like not the actual word. And it's just, you know, but years later it just gets misconstrued. But I think, I, I don't think it is. I don't think it is misconstrued. I think it's just, uh, you know, over it's there. Ha the, the pendulum has to swing back before it can, you know, uh, get, get in the middle. Maybe I, I'm not sure. Um, as a, as an older white male, I'm totally prepared to take my lumps and to shut the fuck up. Yeah, dude. <laughs> and, and I, and I wish that there were a lot of other people that were, that, that would recognize that and just say, no, I'm, I'm going to step away from my motherfucking ego and, and, and say, yeah, what else, what else do I, do I need to learn? What else do I need to hear? What else do I need to, um, you know, get behind? Because, because I, I I want yeah. I think I, well, I think you said something really really relevant uh, about this record and that, which is you know Bob Dylan's not trying to be make a you know a a blanket racist statement as as the album title by taking it from that other title. He's trying to show this side of Americana because that's kind of what this album is. It's him finding all these different pieces, which, and you can see that in the different styles of music where one is like a bluegrass and one's a country and then one's almost a jazz standard. And then it's, he's all over the place uh, with it. So uh, I feel, I can see, definitely see the similarities, but it's all coming. It's, it's all coming from black roots. Yes, for sure. You know, except, except for maybe the, 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 um, you know, the bluegrass thing, but banjo was a, a originally, a, you know, in the deep South and came from Africa. So, I don't think he's, I don't No, I don't think it's, it's like he wishes that he could have been part of the minstrel show. It's more like, um, I'm going behind that. I'm, I'm going back to, to like emancipation. A, a lot of this could have, you know, and, and this is something that I'm working on a, a new record is, uh, writing a record that is, that, that doesn't have telephones, doesn't have, um, airplanes, and is like pre-industrial, pre-industrial revolution. And John Wesley Harding was a little bit like that. So uh, all, all these images don't, don't have anything to do with like the modern world. It, 
and and it's it's showing his love of history and 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 all that kind of stuff and you know i'm still kind of jealous that he pulls out all these crazy fucking uh images but he's good at that he is so uh like i said earlier this is my second bob dylan record that i've really i i know man i know you you, you, you know what that's a that's a beautiful thing you've got it you've got a lot of um wonderful experiences ahead of you a hundred percent right but i don't think starting on these two records is where to start (laughs) because i want i want like bob where he's like hey the the hoo ha i don't want this like Skate out and do. Is that a good impersonation, John? That's a great. That's a great impersonation. Thank you very much. I'm going to need some positive information. So I'm, I have to say this before I go go any further. I totally respect Bob Dylan. I respect everything about the guy, uh, and I respect this record. That being said, like I said, I don't think I should have started with these two uh, because I don't think it's going to make me a fan any quicker. I I, I love the music. But my only note about this record before we dive into the songs, because there are moments that I fucking fell in love with. I just think every song is just a little too long. I, I think that he could have cut a minute, a minute and a half from sure. every. There's a couple songs that were three minutes, and I was like, that was great. What was wrong? Why can't that one? Why can't the other nine songs? Been three minutes long. Bob. Oh, don't, yeah, don't start with Sad Eyed Lady of the Lowlands. Oh my God. Although, talk about a fucking Love Jones. Yeah. You can write a 17 minute song that's like all words and it's all about like one person. That's a Love Jones. He's he's the man. I'm not like, I, dude, I love I, everything about him. Yeah. I there, See, the, the whole thing, that's, that uh, like is part of, um, I'm having fun. Shit's coming. Why? I don't I don't have to edit myself. Who cares? If you don't like it, you can lump it, you know? Just kind of a it's you know, kinda of like I I I love this. I'm having a good time. And and I think that, that uh like there's a lot more records of his that are that are less exuberant and and this one is. Cause he's, cause the band is having a great time. And so he's saying, yeah, let's keep going. I love this groove. And I, and I know for a fact that a lot of times he'll write a song, uh, as the, like have the band just hit a groove and just, okay, play, keep going on this thing. And so it becomes, you know, not a jam session, but it's like, it is, it is a groove. Yeah, but he and then I, I found out uh, through my writer Morty that he would play the song. They'd be like, "All right, do it country," and he'd be like, "Nah, I don't like that." Nah, do it bluegrass, and then they'd do it blue. Yeah, I don't like that, and he would just go and go. But then surprisingly, this was only this only took two weeks to record. You know, he sat down. You know, they came right in. They they he worked through it, and and this is what he got. And maybe that's why. You know, because as Morty was explaining to me, because I'm like I said, I don't know all the history of Bob Dylan, but he would say that uh, that Bob would he they would they would just set it up, set the mics up and 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 not adjust it. He was trying to go for this older style of recording uh, like they did, you know, in the in the 50s and in the 60s, because he wanted to capture that that you know that beauty that that, that was older music. Yeah. Well, that's the only that's the only decent way to record anyhow. Uh, the only other the, the other kind of recording where people are, you know, flying tracks around and and uh, you know coming into the studio at different times. You can make something that that sounds pleasant, 
but there's no mojo, there's no soul, there's no um, bleed, there's no there's no something that that is like indescribable. So I mean, yeah, you can you can make a a, a good I guess sounding record um, if that's if that's what you like. You know, if that's if that's your thing. Well, how similar were the recording processes, you know, from what Bob Dylan did to what to what X did? Uh, virtually the same. We we're all in a room and we just played songs. And I mean, we did overdub vocals, which I, I think these these vocals are probably, uh, I would guess, mostly live. But that that's the way that I, I record solo stuff is just you get in a room and you put up enough um soundproofing to to make sure that that the bleed between one microphone and another isn't isn't going to fuck you at the end you know you're going to screw up stuff as you're mixing you can't turn something down because there's too much of that in another microphone and you just go because really what you're doing is making a record uh, a a record of the or or, you know you're you're recording a moment and and you can it, it isn't just that it's right uh because so what big deal right you know what you want to do is you want to get uh you want to get something across you want to get give somebody a feeling you want to make them feel something and the best way to do that is to have something that's uh you know just fucking real and and right there so yeah i couldn't agree with you more i think that but with by hearing that from you and then hearing you know of how Bob Dylan recorded this. See, these are the little things that make me love it even more. By the end of this episode, I'm going to get a Bob Dylan tattoo. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to get gristled. I want to see that. I do. I want to see that. All right. Well, you know. me a picture. All right. I'll, 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 I'll get your number. I'll get your number through Tom and we'll make this happen. All right. Let's dive into the record. Cause this, this really is, I just want to tell the fleece army. I am not shitting on Bob Dylan, everybody. It's like we dude. I just, we should have started at number one and gone up. Like that's what we should have done. Well, you're, but you're, but you're just following the, the, the 500, right? No, I mean, but we, we should have started at one and gone up. Cause then I would have heard highway, uh, what, 61 revisited and I would have heard uh, blonde on blonde and blood on the tracks. And dude, right now I'd be like, Oh my God. I mean, tweedly D tweedly dumb is he's talking about this. And it reminds me of X and Y and Z. And right now I'm just like, I don't, I mean, maybe it kind of reminds me of everybody might get stoned. Yeah. The, 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 the one thing you're missing is, uh, is Bob's a great singer. And, and at this point in his life, he doesn't have the, the the range and the but he's got the soul. So it's like, um, you know, Whitney Houston is a is a great singer, but I'd rather listen to uh, Billie Holiday or Edith Piaf or or someone who just has this, um, you know, life that they've lived behind them. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, you you got you got some good things to to because because Bob's a great singer. You know, uh, even even on the on the songs that uh, are the records that people hate, like "Saved" and "Slow Train Coming," where it's they're supposedly the, you know, religious the Jesus records and stuff like that. He's a kick-ass singer. His tone is totally weird, and you either like that or you don't. But he's a he his, uh, you know, ability to invent stuff and and just and he never sings things the same way twice and. It's pretty great. I mean, I've seen a couple of concerts where, uh, where I was like, "What fucking song is this?" Oh, this is like a Rolling Stone, huh? 
All right, cool. <laughs> he's doing the remix. Oh shit! Did DJ oh, Khaled produce? He's killing it. I saw him live. I talked about this last time. I saw him live. Uh, the Rack and Tours open for him at George Mason University, and uh, we went specifically to see the Rack and Tours because of a friend knew the the band manager, and that was so first time I'm ever seeing Bob Dylan. He's like in the back. He's not even up front. Like he's got almost his. He's got like his shoulder to the audience. I mean, this is 2007, maybe. And I remember I was just, I mean, one, I was way too stoned, but I was like, I was like, yeah, man, I just, I just don't know if this is for me. And and I'm glad I had those experiences and then started doing this because it's, listen, it's, it's growing. It's just a hard nut to crack. And to be honest with you, John, and this is going to give you, uh, this is giving you kudos. I feel more comfortable saying that I don't know if I get Bob Dylan yet to you than I did to Rita Wilson, the guest on uh, our first episode. We did time out of mind. I, I couldn't, she, she was such a fan that I was like, I just, I can't tell her that I dislike this record as much as she loves it. And I was like, I, so, so I get along with you. That's what I'm saying. I can vibe with you. You're very easy going vibe. Well, uh, up to a point. Okay, good. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, if let's you start talk. talking shit about John Waters, then then we're gonna have a no, problem. dude, dude, hairspray, hairspray. Just and I'm not even gonna do his earlier work. Like we, but I'm just saying, just from hairspray. And I met him too. He came to my he came to Towson University when I was one of the frat boys destroying Fell's Point. Uh, and and uh, no, it's, I wasn't really a frat boy. I was never on a frat. I was just a just a drunk Jewish guy walking around Baltimore on a lot of cocaine. It was, it was fun time. For me, dude. Fun time, dude. Eating crab balls. Um, but yeah, but it's, but here let's, we're wasting time. Let's dive in. There's so, there are some really great songs on this record. It opens with Tweedly D, uh, Tweedledum name for the absurd, uh, little fat twin brothers from the nursery rhymes of the 1700s, but most well known from adaptations of Lewis Carroll's 1871 book through the looking glass and what Alice found there. And this is filled with typically wild Dylan imagery from bags of dead man's bones to boiling brains. Kick it on, JT. Well, they're going to the country, they're going to retire. They're taking a streetcar named Desire. Looking at the window with the pecan pie. A lot of things they'd like they would never ride. Neither one's going to turn and I love that little. Uh, so yeah, so he basically uh, took would just he would read stuff, and find these books and just steal sentences, full lines, and just throw them in the song. And once I found that out, I was like trying to like every song. I'm trying to see if I got anything, and the only thing that I could recognize out of this was that line that we played, where he references streetcar named desire. I was like, I know that one. I was like, all right, I'm not an idiot. I'm not a full idiot. Um, I think this is, I think this is a good song. I just, like I said earlier, I think it goes on too long, uh, without any real changes. I'm sorry about it, but I do like it. Uh, what are your thoughts on this song? Like, what do you, how do you feel when you hear this? I'm I'm not a scholar. I don't, I don't know this record backward and forward. I actually had to buy it, uh, at, at my local record shop. Everybody should work, should buy it, uh, at their local record shop. Um, but I got the LP and, um, uh, this is a, this reminds me of highway 61. This is the same kind of, same kind of groove as something on that would fit perfectly. 
You know, I I listen to this as much for the band as I do for uh, for the song, and and I don't think that I don't think that any of these have a have a have like a beginning, middle, and end in the song, and and but it's but it's kind of like existing, which is really um, I was saying about this la- about the last record he did the you know. Uh, rowdy ways rough and rowdy ways it's like he's existing in the past the present and the future all at the same time and so are so are the characters so it's it's uh yeah i mean to say it's going on too long it's like what so it's five minutes instead of three and a half it's like yeah whatever it's a good groove man it's a great groove please don't think i'm shitting on the groove the groove is the groove, and I pray every night to the groove. I've I've only walked out of like one movie in what was it? Uh, it was um, they came from within, which is a early David Cronenberg movie where people have these like demons that are like squirt out of their guts and stuff like that. And I actually had had eaten some bad food, so I was I was feeling the same thing. <laughs> That was, it was going on, you know, on the screen, and I had to, I had, because I didn't want to, you know, like, crap my pants in the movie theater. But um, the the reason I say it is because there's there's something that's great about there's like one moment I think in almost every movie that is sort of transcendent and sort of like hits you in a way, and and maybe like at minute four minutes and fifteen seconds. On this song, there's something for somebody that goes like, "Oh, that's the one, that's the line," you know, or or your little near 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 near. That was yeah, it. You know? but that's what kept. That's what got me. I'm not gonna lie. That's what kept me totally focused. Now I want to talk about uh, all the books that that Bob is referencing in this. Um, you and our buddy Tom uh, worked on Under the Big Black Sun, a personal history of LA punk and more fun in the new world, the unmaking and legacy of LA punk chronicling the first 10 years of punk that you and many contributing members of the scene experienced. So I want to know, when did you first realize that it was a movement that was bigger than its individual parts? Oh, uh, well, I I think right at the beginning because because uh, there you know nobody was getting discovered. There wasn't uh, there wasn't um, Seymour Stein and there wasn't uh, you know Malcolm McLaren and there wasn't uh, you know Blondie or uh, the Clash and because you know everybody uh, this is you know that's only about a year and a half or two years after those scenes were were starting. But every you know the LA scene didn't didn't get much play, so we all had to we all had to work together in order to um, to keep it to keep it viable and and everybody you know played in you know a couple different bands and and all like that so, but did we think it was going to last as long or or have as much um, cultural impact? No, that that was like maybe in the year. 2000 <laughs> i thought oh god huh i guess i can hear some influences of la punk rock and in these people and then people you know who were who were younger were starting to to reference 
bands from that era and, and stuff like that. But the but the LA the LA punk rock scene was more about um like goofy kids um having a good time and drinking beer and like living cheaply and and a like a bohemian kind of lifestyle. That it, it wasn't like the no future of London or the like art world of New York City. So that's why it's particular particular to Los Angeles. And, you know, Tom and I couldn't have done this without all the other people that contributed. And I didn't want to. You know, Tom kept bugging me and said, you should write a book. And it's like, you should write a book. Fuck you. That sounds like way too much work and discipline yeah. and stuff that I'm, I'm busy. I've, I've got a job. I don't need another effing job, Tom. Thank you. But um, – because, you know, I'm not a, like, raconteur telling stories and all this. I, I don't really hold forth that much. On occasion, I'll say, yeah, this there was this time that so-and-so did this and blah, blah. Um, so I figured I would be like, uh, you know, Tom Sawyer and get everybody else to paint the fence uh, rather than me have to do it. And then I didn't have to be, like, the the authority. And, and I couldn't tell, like, what it was like for, for women to be in, in – um, in this uh, scene, you know, I, I loved it and appreciated it and, and worked hard to, to be allies and, and promote, um, you know, equality. Cause that was, that was something that, that punk rock really, um, really demonstrated or, or initiated, I think in, in this scene, there were, you know, in New York, London, LA, San Francisco, and onward, there's women playing drums. There's women playing lead guitar. There's women, you know, not just the the cute front singer, you know. Um, I, so we were talking about people reading too deeply into uh into Bob Dylan lyrics. Uh, because this came out on nine eleven. Uh, and I don't know why people would think this. Some Dylan fans and conspiracy followers thought Bob was somehow phys- uh, what is it, psychically referring to the twin towers with this song. Did they really, they really do want to break it down? They really want to find Q and on when they want to find it, they find it. <laughs> I was just going to say that. I guess Q and on is on everybody's mind. They're on everybody's dude. They knew. Cause it's so, cause it's so uh, absurd. Um, I, I know exactly what, what they're talking about. And I know why that, why that feels that way because we made a record X made a record after 35 fucking years and it was released during on in uh, April of 2020 and everybody thought oh my god this is so foreshadowing and and this is this is like foretelling the future and how did they do this and all this sort of, it's because we've always written lyrics like that we've always talked about being disenfranchised with uh you know living this this uh the the world is the the world is going to hell and politicians are all fucked up and and all this kind of stuff so that's what we write about and then history catches up with you and so then people are going to say oh my god if people are looking for something and they want to find it they're going to find it they'll find something so a word a sentence uh, an image that just like that nope that proves my point uh i mean who knows maybe bob dylan is psychic 
All right. Uh, the next song I want to talk about is the second song on the record, Mississippi. Uh, so this is like a world weary look at his then late fifties life running down. And it was originally recorded for the previous album, uh, but it was left off. I do like this. This is really cool. He offered it to Sheryl Crow, who was honored to record it in 98. Then the Dixie Chicks started playing her version in concert. And on his manager's suggestion, Dylan re-recorded a more country rock version for this album. What I love about this is that Dylan is getting paid at least four times for this song, which is <laughs> fucking great. This was, this was so popular and loved uh, that it's still considered among his best work. Uh, here, let's, let's hear a bit of it. Uh, Peter, play it. Some people will offer you their hand and some won't. Last night I knew you, tonight I don't. I need something strong to distract my mind. I'm gonna look at you till my eyes go I, I actually really like this song. I, I think this might be one of the best ones on the record. Um, might, because there might be something later that I enjoy even more. Uh, so what do you think? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just do a little review here. You know, Mississippi is, is famous for inventing the blues. You know, all the, all the um, Delta Blues guys came from Mississippi. And, and so he, he, would, he would be there in a second. And I, I think that if you're, if you're going to talk about, you know, living his life and, and, and wondering about whether it's rewarding or not, I think that's, that's, where, that's where you're at. So, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of references to, to like slavery and and uh like being being in a place that is uh unwelcoming being in a place that 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 you you know you might as well get out of because because it's not going to it's not going to serve you yeah so let's let's talk about let's talk about aging gracefully like bob's trying to say here can the spirit of punk rock age gracefully or is it supposed to just burn out by design no i think it totally can and and uh you know everybody said that Rock and roll is just a, a a fad. Yeah, a fad or just for young people. And there's something you can do as a young person that you can't do as an older person. But uh there's plenty to there's plenty to do. Um yeah, there aging gracefully just depends on on whether you're being uh if you have integrity and you don't uh, you're not a bullshitter and you're not just a um you know you're not relying on gimmicks and, and, and even, you know, someone who does start out with a gimmick can, can move into, to more authenticity if they're, if they're a true, if they're an artist, you know, and, and that's like TBD on, on a lot of people. I, I kind of, I kind of agree with you. I mean, especially with rock and roll, uh, because I don't know enough about punk. You know, but from what I do know, I've seen, especially like X, you just made a new record. It's, it's, it's phenomenal. Like, I think there's, I think there's a level, like you said, of having integrity, staying to your roots, but also, you know, like I've seen a lot of rock artists, you know, do one thing at the beginning and as they age, it's almost like they're like, even with Bob, it's like, he's, he's doing stuff for fun now because this is what he wants to do. And he gave us so much earlier. And so it's, it's just as long as you're, you're still playing 
to what you love and what you want to do, I, I don't see there, you know, you, I mean, I think it would be weird to see a guy 85 years old, you know, at the Roxy, just fucking, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that would be weird, but I, I'd go see it because I'd get free tickets. I know. It'd probably I'm be awesome. Okay. It would be, it would be a, a bunch of octogenarians just ripping, yeah. just fucking yeah. ripping. Absolutely. Why not? Who says they can't? Dude, um, we gotta find but, some eight. We gotta find some eighty-five-year-olds that can rip. Yeah, I know one. His name's Willie Nelson. Okay, you know you're right. Okay, I forgot about. It. He's eighty-five. Jesus, how he's eighty-five and I look older than him, and I'm forty-one. No, I think he's eighty-seven. Good God. Yeah, and I've I've seen him since uh, you know moving to Austin, and I'm I'm friends with some of his kids. Uh, that that he there is something that he does in every show, and it's not always the same that blows my mind. He's one of the, one of the best guitar players ever. Yeah. Not just for what he does, but definitely that I would say, you know, the, the thing, the thing that, that Bob can do in, in later, in his later records is have this, uh, he reads something, he reinterprets it. It, it isn't, if, if you, from what I understand, I don't, I haven't made a, you know, in-depth study on this, but the the lines that are taken from other books are changed bit by bit, like weaved into. So it's it's not like a direct steal. It's it's more of a like, oh, this I just did read this, but it's fitting into this character rather than I'm taking this and then gonna make a character around it. It may be totally wrong. But he was kind of, you know, referencing different characters and people all the time. I mean, from from the get go. So it's no surprise. I mean, the guys, I mean, how many albums has he made at this point? This is what his like 250. 200. <laughs> this is his 250th record. This guy, I mean, after a certain point of time, it's like, how many lyrics can you write on your own? You know, thinking, thank God he didn't just like steal off like the Olive Garden menu. He's just like, all right, all you can eat breadsticks, all in soup and salad. Um, this is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, We've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the one-hit thunder or were nothing more than a one-hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. 
Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods. All right, let's move on to the next song. We got a few more I want to talk about. Summer Day uh, 45. Um, this might actually, uh, this moment right here might be my favorite of the record so far. Uh, Peter, play it. Everybody get ready, lift up your glasses and sing. Everybody get ready, lift up your glasses and sing. Well, I'm standing on the table, I'm frozen the toast to the um, I, I really do like this song. Uh, so what I found, he paraphrases F. Scott Fitzgerald's The Great Gatsby, the obscure 1964 single Hopped Up Mustang by Arlen Sanders, and a Japanese book we'll get into later. I See, I, this is where I know the album has got me, and now I'm into it, and this is the shit that I like. I like the slower stuff that he does, but if we've, you know, so far the three songs that we've heard so far, this is definitely my favorite. Um, do you have anything you want to add to this before I move on to Bye Bye? No, I think that this is a a a, a very uh, great rendition of so many jump blues songs. It could be you know Wanoni Harris from uh, or the Blasters who were big in the LA scene back in back in the day. Um, yeah, it's it's like I'm going to use this as my canvas. And I'm gonna have some great, some some great imagery and and uh, yeah. So it's a and and this is where the band just really he just lets them loose, you know. The groove, as you said earlier, the groove. That's right. Well, I didn't I didn't invent that term. I don't know if you if you. I don't want to take credit for inventing the term the groove or in trying the, to connect with you. <laughs> in the pocket. The groove. The groove. Oh, you mean the groove? <laughs> As he would say it, the groove. Come on, get to the groove. All right, by and by. Now, here's what I found. This, like many others on this album, really reflects Dylan's love and admiration for songs from the 20s, 30s, and 40s. In fact, he based this on the Billie Holiday song, Having Myself a Time. And what's funny is... It sounds breezy, but there's this dark, obsessive vibe lurking in the lyrics, uh, which might be about a woman or even his feelings about that era of music itself. Uh, and you can hear the darkness in this clip. Peter, go ahead and play it. Papa gone mad. Mama, she's feeling sad. Well, I'm going to baptize you in fire so you can sin no more. I'm going to establish my rule. I'm gonna baptize you in fire, Jesus. Christ. Yeah, why not? But it doesn't. But it, but it gives you this, like you know, like applesauce delicious, and we're gonna get nutritious. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, what I mean, it's like when I was listening to this, I was like, oh, this is finally like a really nice song, and it's like, oh no, there's 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 hellfire in this one. Um. I kind of like this one. I like how dirty, how dark it is. Uh, I love the light swing. I also dig, and you'll find this funny. I like this song a lot because this. I think this might be the shortest one on the record. Well, to each their own. To each their own. Uh, well, you're 
your thoughts? How do you feel? The the darkness is is always there. It's just how much do you want to emphasize it? You know, and and he's not afraid to to um to like that last verse that you referenced. He's not afraid to to have everything in chaos. If that's the way it's going to go, that's the way it's going to go. And and uh, I'm you know not going to not going to pull back. Uh, I I think referencing the Civil War is probably like more of the same kind of thing with with uh, you know being about emancipation, being about about that time. So let me ask you because like I like I said I don't know about a lot of his earlier work. Is this is this is like a reoccurring thing with Bob? I assume where it's just like it's just brutal honesty and just like you said that darkness. Yes. Yeah. And and he I think he allows himself to 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 let the song take him someplace that he might you know not even know where it's going to go. Here you are. You're walking down the path, and then you you make you you write one line, and then. It's like, oh, there's another one right behind it. I know that that's how that's how it works for me. Um, you don't know where it's going to go when you first start out, and it just goes for sure. All right, I want to ask you a question because we did uh, a White Stripes record right before this, uh, and in that, uh, Jack and Meg broke up uh, and got divorced, and Meg had to convince Jack to keep the band together, and then you and Exine broke up right as the band was reaching some mainstream success. And you not only stayed together, but you also started a second band, the knitters. So I got to ask, was there any talk of the band breaking up as well? Oh, sure. But we realized that we were friends before we were married and, uh, and that our artistic relationship was more important than, than being married, than being a, a couple. Not to say it wasn't hard, but it was also, you know, it was also our our job. It was our job, and we we took it really seriously, and felt like that that it was more important than than we were individually, and and we weren't acting like fucking children, <laughs> and and you know, just wanting to cut our nose off to spite our face, kind of thing, you know. But it was, yeah, it was it was very difficult, and and that ain't love grand record was also the first record we did without Raymond Zarek, and that was uh, kind of a mistake. The, the producer that we chose was known for doing heavy metal records, and he kind of sucked a lot of the life out of the out of the songs, you know. But say la vie, man. That's how it goes. How close? How close was X to 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 being to being over though? Like, how was there like? Was there a moment you're like, it's fucking done, man. It's fucking done. Oh, <laughs> that still happens. That still happens with everybody. I know. I know. You know but but you know, you, you realize like it's it's like a family, you know, and I don't know what your family's like, but families are fucking complicated. We we dude, my mom picked me up from the airport when I got to Maryland and I was like, We're having crab cakes and french fries tonight. And she goes, Crab cakes, but we're having baked potato. And then we, I screamed at her and she screamed at me. I was like, How can we have baked potato with crab cakes? It's french fries. I'm not making french fries for seven people. So yeah, dude, I get it. I get it. Which brings me to the next song 
Lonesome Day Blues. Now, here are the details of the song. Uh, it's a 12-bar blues. It has a title from a blind Willie McTell and Ruby Glaze song from 1932, but owes more to Leroy Carr and Blackwell's 1934 song, Blues Before Sunrise and Muddy Waters' Lonesome Day from 1952. Uh, JT, play it. Out, weather not fit for man or beast. I hear my thoughts on this song. What I got from this song is it's about two women, okay? The main girl and then Samantha Brown. Uh, Now, that being said, I think it's kind of fucked up that he called out Samantha Brown. He could have just said, because he never mentions the other girl, but he mentioned Samantha Brown by name. And if there's a real Samantha Brown... I don't know if I, I'm happy for or I'm or I'm like, yeah, or, you know, that's kind of fucked up. <laughs> that's what I got. Um, but also then I read the lyrics and I noticed there's like 11 verses in this song. And once again, it's just a little too long. I love the groove, but the song swings. Don't get me wrong, but just 11 verses. That's a lot. Your first record is 28 minutes, bro. Your first record is like 28. Our last, our last record is 26 or 7 minutes. That's awesome. You know That's perfect. Hey, you know what? Uh, I, I'm not going to get into this. I'm not going to be drawn into this again. Okay. Not again with this uh, fucking drawn me into a fight with, with you again. <laughs> uh, here's the thing is, is that, you know, to – to try to figure out what it means and to try to uh, it, it's all about like, Oh, I found this place. It's a cool place. And uh, Samantha Brown's here. And, uh, and my brother that was in the war, he's here too. And it's down this, it's down this uh, dirt road. And it's got this cool shit going on. Do you want to come? And it's like, sure, I want to come. I want to do. Well, do you just want to see like half of it or do you want to see all of it? Because it ended up that I I saw a lot more than I thought I was going to see when I went to this place. And and I think that's like that is classic uh, Bob Dylan. You know, and and, and you can I, I can say that about every one of these songs that. He just finds a place, man. And and this place, yeah, it was influenced by uh Muddy Waters and and uh but he's listened to so much fucking Muddy Waters. He's listened to so much Willie McTell. He could, you know, he he knows he knows that music, he knows the what the band is playing. And so let's just do it. Let's just give up, you know, give it up. Give it up for the for the band. Give it up for the for the place that we've gone to, and if you listen to like he said himself at, at there was a, a ceremony where he gave this speech uh, for music cares, and he said, you know, if you listen to enough of of one kind of song, you're going to be able to write this other kind of song, which was one of his, and if you listen to enough of this guy, then you're going to be be able to write this other song that I wrote. 
And I think that's true. If you, he, he can, he can reference and he can pull that out because he, he knows it. He, he's a, he's, um, it's not just a fad. It's something that's in his DNA kind of in his bones. No, for sure. Um, all right. Well, like we're talking about DNA and bones. I want to talk about your acting stuff because, you know, by the late eighties, after years being in bands, uh, and before you even put out your first solo record, you started acting and you, you were in one of my favorite movies, Boogie Nights, uh, Great Balls of Fire, another one of my personal favorites, Roadhouse, and a bunch of other TV stuff. You, I don't think you understand how many people in the You probably do, because Roadhouse is like, that's, that's like, forget Paul Thomas Anderson. Roadhouse, dude. That'll be remembered. Hopefully aliens will find that one day. And... And that will live on millenniums. But did you always have that kind of aspiration? And did you feel like vulnerable branching out from the group dynamic to a different medium where you would essentially be representing yourself? Uh, no, I didn't. And and I'll give Allison Anders, the indie film director, credit for for asking me to, to be in one of her first movies or her first movie called um, Border Radio. And... It's just like uh, somebody, I think you're a fool to turn down an opportunity. And if it's, oh, here's an opportunity to express yourself and it's a little outside your comfort zone and uh, you're not sure if you're going to make a fool of yourself or not. And okay, let's go. And then, you know, when, once you get to something like Great Balls of Fire or Roadhouse or something like that, it's like, oh, wait a minute. And you're going to pay me like, eight grand a week sure yeah and how many weeks we're working 10 weeks sure that sounds like a lot of money to me <laughs> and you know to be honest i you know x had been working since 77 and i think the uh, you know i i could finally you know could never buy a house, rented houses, so forth. Worked in two movies, which was like Grace Balls of Fire and Roadhouse. And suddenly I could buy a house. It wasn't anything fancy, but... Um, it's a house. Yeah, you know. So, uh, but I, I I take it really seriously and I, I try to do my homework and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and uh, But anybody who loves Roadhouse is uh, very in touch with their 13, 14-year-old boy. Oh yeah, and, dude. And I mean, you know that that goes for male and female and binary and everybody else. If you like that movie, then you like you know, uh, kind of kicking ass and. I mean, it's perfect, bro. It is. I mean, come on, dude. That is that is Schwazy at at peak Schwazy. I mean, he rips a guy's heart out of his chest for Christ's sake. Throat. I mean that. Throw, I'm right, same thing. I mean, I'm sorry. I got, I got Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom mixed up. Uh, they're the same. They're very, very similar. Very similar. <laughs> it was great. I, uh, at some point, I'm going to write a, a a biography, and and that'll be a a, a dedicated chapter. That's that's very funny. <laughs> it was, it. It's like it's like the the most expensive B movie ever made. Yeah, <laughs> and then up to that point, Joel Silver, who was the producer, had had nothing but success. And that was a huge bomb at the box office. Yes, but probably on VHS, he made his money back tenfold, tenfold. And the rights, the the where you can watch show it on television. I mean, come on, 
Yeah. <laughs> I think it's called streaming. That's what it is. But no, there's another one. It's like where it's with television. It's where it goes syndication. Yes. Right. The syndication. Yeah. If let me ask you this. If Joel Silver called you and said, We're doing Roadhouse Two, uh, the prequel to it. <laughs> are you in? Absolutely. I, I think they didn't didn't they do a didn't they do a uh hey, listen, you know what I say? No Schwazy, no Wazy. No Wazy. Wazy. I like it. Thank you. All right. Floater. Too much to ask. That's the next song I want to talk about. This is interesting. A couple of the lines of this song were said to have been plagiarized and paraphrased from a translated version of Junichi Saga's 1991 nonfiction book about the Japanese crime syndicate Confessions of a Yakuza. When someone pointed it out to the writer, rather than be upset or litigious, he said he was honored by Dylan. When confronted with his proclivity for liberally lifting from writers, including Saga, he unapologetically said, this is from Bob Dylan, wussies and pussies complain about that stuff. If you think it's so easy to quote him and it can help your work, do it yourself and see how far you can get. (laughs) Fucking Bob, dude. I also found this on a message board and I thought this was pretty funny. Uh, an amazing song that doubles as a book recommendation. How evil. Uh, and the poster of that clip's handle, I, I got to say this, uh, Bible Belt Ho. Very, very good Bible Belt Ho. If you're out there and you're listening, maybe want to change the, the, the name, though. Bible Belt Ho. I don't, you know. Uh, this line caught me off guard. Uh, Peter, play 24 seconds. Honey bees are buzzing. Leaves be. To stir. I'm in love with my second cousin. I tell myself I could be happy forever with her. I keep listening for footsteps. Um, how do you wait? I like this shuffle. But what are your thoughts? Great. Great fucking song. Yeah. But again, I, I'm I'm gonna just, you know, we could we could just talk shit because I'm gonna say the same thing. Bob found himself in a in a cool place. And he and uh I've taken direct inspiration from from other uh, authors. One is, um, oh God, what's her name? Uh, she wrote the Beat Queen um, and and written songs. Uh, there there was a uh, another book by Haruki Murakami that I've used as inspiration for for a song called Closet of Dreams. And uh, yeah, I mean, you got. If you're having trouble with your output, look at your input. If you're having trouble creating something, what are you being inspired by? Because there's uh, very few things that are, I mean, you you can't just steal, you you can't be like Led Zeppelin and steal from, you know, impoverished, impoverished blues musicians and then call it your own. No, you give them credit and then give them the money too. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, for sure. So, uh, yeah. I, so what? There's nothing wrong. With it. He's not. It's like first of all, he's not really. He's just like he's like taking a line and rewording it. Like he's playing around. It's not like he's like you said. It's not like he's full on just. All right, this is a paragraph from the story. I'm just going to put that in. And if he does, he reworks it and he makes he, he Dylan's it up. And I dig it. 
All right. Uh, so then after that, we have High Water for Charlie Patton. Great song. Uh, then the next one I want to talk about is Moonlight. Um, cause I got so many people when I posted about this record that were just saying how this is their favorite song on it. Uh, this is very interesting. Although most of the lyrics and mellow melody are his Dylan likely took the verse refrain from the Carter family's 1928 recording of meet me by the moonlight. Uh, play a little bit of the Dylan JT. Would you in harmony the blessings of tranquility yet i know when the time is right to strike so according to engineer chris shaw this was recorded completely live in a few takes with no editing or additional overdubs i love that they did it he was like he listened to it he's like it's perfect and then that was it and i really i really like this song i have i have a big heart i'm i'm looking for love and not in even all the wrong places. I'm just looking for it. But I love, I love when a song like this, especially, and I think that's this is with this album. It just we've had some really high highs, and we've had moments where I'm like, okay, I don't know if I'm vibing in this. But like you said, when you find the groove, you find the groove. And in this one, I really enjoyed the groove. Um, well, this is a this is a sort of uh, jazz standard Tin Pan Alley kind of uh, chord changes and delivery, and uh, and it's unabashedly romantic. Uh, I hate to tell whoever was commenting that this was taken from the Carter family, uh, ask them to listen to Woody Guthrie. And pretty much every fucking melody that Woody does, which are incredible, are taken from a Carter family song. Like, This Land is Your Land is uh, uh, something like My Sweet Darling, Oh, are my little darling. And it's like the same. So shit happens. <laughs> shit does happen. All right. That's perfect. Perfect button on that. All right. Uh, honest with me. Uh, the song meaning I think is about a lost love that was upended uh, the narrator's whole life. Uh, but it's a Bob Dylan song. So who really knows? Um, once again, though, this song. I love, the, I, I love the fact that it's like, there's all this shit that goes down and, I think that people have a really hard time being honest and they, they always want people want to, and I'll include myself there. Uh, you want to soft pedal it. You don't want to hurt people's feelings. You don't want to, um, uh, you, you, it's, it's really hard to be brutally honest. And I guess somewhere in the middle of this is also referencing, uh, uh, like a civil war song. Yeah, yeah. So, so he for the line. I'm not sorry for nothing I've done. I'm glad I fought. I only wish we'd won. That's from uh, the pro-Confederate post-Civil War song. I'm a good old rebel. And then I think there's for this fair land of freedom. I don't give a damn. I'm glad I fit against it. I only wish we'd won, and I don't want no pardon for anything I'd done. I don't. But I think that's from the same song. It's brutally honest about, um, and and I love what he's. What he says, uh, um, I'm stark naked and and off in the woods, and I'm I'm hunting bear. <laughs> B a r e. Tell me, tell me that Bob Dylan doesn't have some doesn't have some comedy chops. I mean, or Bob Dylan's butt naked in the forest. I'm 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 off I'm, I'm hunting bear. <laughs> 
Uh, I do. I do like this one a lot. Like I said, I like this is one of those ones that did go a little too long, but it has these great runs that the band plays. Uh, Peter, play three fifty eight. These are the things that are saving certain songs for me because it's like I this one this is one of the rockers on the record, uh, so immediately I'm drawn to it. Like I said, it, it's but it's that that little guitar run that that just. Thank you, Charlie Sexton. What Charlie's playing there is is classic Elmore James kind of kind of stuff. So it's so good. Yeah. All right. All right, Poe Boy. Uh, this is you were talking about Bob's humor. This is another great example. Uh, during a song about a life of struggle, work, simple pleasures, and comforts, he drops old jokes like calling room service. Uh, Peter, play it. Knocking on the door, I say, Who's it? Where you from? Man, say, Freddie, I say, Freddie, who he say, Freddie, you're not here. I come. Poe Boy, neat the stars that shine. Washing them dishes, feeding them swine. He's like, he's like, so I calm down and the guy says, hold on for a second. So I wait three minutes and then the guy answers and he says it's the wrong number. So I call the number again and then, oh, I finally got the guy and there he is. <laughs> oh boy, a Bob do. This is such a sweet song. This is the sweetest song on the record, in my opinion. I love the story. I love the humor and I love that light swing. Uh, I saw you laughing, so obviously you feel the same way. Yeah, Freddie or not, here I come. Yeah. <laughs> it's so great. Freddie who? Freddie or not, here I come. Who else is going to reference Othello and Desdemona and, you know, get it right about somebody getting poisoned uh, and and make it swing? Yeah. It's like, okay, sure, you can do that. I'm with you. You did. You just did it. God damn. I love you and I hate you. <laughs> What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living. And every week, I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there. All right. Uh, cry a while. I right, said so this one is vicious. Uh, here's another acid tongue song of resentment. It's somebody who has well earned their tears. Here's the best part. Uh, Peter, play it. Last night across the alley, there was a pounding on the wall. It must have been done possibly making it to a booty call. To bring a trusted heart like mine. Was just your style. Bob Dylan just shouted out booty calls. <laughs> I fucking love that. And it's funny how he found that out. After seeing Rolling Stone magazine in the studio with Destiny's Child on the cover and the heading Booty Camp, he put the phrase booty call into this song. 
Good for Bob. Doesn't matter where you get it. No, dude. The term booty also means what a pirate might loot or steal. But I don't think in this, this, well, no, no, no. But you see, here's, here's another thing where uh, he's, this is not, this doesn't take place in the recording studio while there's a Rolling Stone. It takes place in some alternate fucking universe. Yeah. Where, uh, you know, the, the railroad that's going out of Pennsylvania and the frozen fucking uh, roads in Denver and, you know, but then there's double crossing backstabbing phonies and yeah. Great song. All right. Last song on the record, sugar baby. And I, I honest to God think, I know I've said, I've enjoyed this one or I like this one. I'm connecting with this. I think this is my favorite song on the record. And I also think it's a perfect way to end the album. Just a slow, regretful ballad about a life of heartbreak and it really does break my heart um here peter play 227 this is a this is a really great song. Um, it, it really reminds me of something that it feels more like it, it should be on Time Out of Mind. Um, it just ha- that's I feel like it's a continuation of that record. Um, mm-hmm. Your thoughts on it? Ending the album with this? Oh, um, it's a it's a great album ender, and and you have to as you're sequencing something, you usually you have to trust your intuition. I mean, that's what. Yeah. That's what sequencing is all about, and that's what recording is all about. But I, I think that, that this is the most um, like slave master type song because he's he's using lyrics like you ever you never had any brains know how. It's it's sort of like using a vernacular of someone who could have been enslaved, and and it's like a sugar baby, you know, being a you know. Just being a kid who doesn't know anything. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's a beautiful song. And the the music is shows how um how the band can just res, be so restrained and and really melodic and, and not trying to you know, here they're staying out of the way. Really out and, of the way. And I think that's why I enjoy it so much. Yeah. And this is this is pretty similar to to something that could be on the last record as well. Sure. R- rough and rowdy ways. Which I would recommend, but I wouldn't recommend the the murder so foul, which is another fucking seventeen minute song about the assassination of John Kennedy. I don't know, maybe you're into that, but nah, that dude, like- <laughs> nah. Um, I gotta go back, bro. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta really, because you know what? I watched when I was doing getting ready for the last Bob Dylan record. I watched a documentary. Um, I forget which one it was. Uh, the who's the guy? Penny, Penny. HR uh, Penny Packer is that his name or did I fuck that up? Yeah, but I watched one of his documentaries and I was just like in awe of how cool Bob was and how you know you could just tell he, how special he was watching him. And I remember they did a song. Uh, I'm gonna fuck it up. Like I think it's called Hey Ramona. I immediately heard it. I found out what the song was and I listened to it over and over and over and over and over again because I was like that. That's the Bob Dylan that I like. That right there. And and I need more of that. The name of that record is called Another Side of Bob Dylan. 
Ooh. And that was when he when he stepped away from doing more political stuff and he was doing more uh, romantic stuff. It's beautiful. But dude, I have no time. I have to listen to The Who next and then I think fucking Talking Heads or some shit. I mean, nothing. I'm not against any of these other albums I got to listen to. I have no time. I have no time to listen to Stone Temple Pilots and Guns N' Roses. Oh, bands you're that- right. You're right. There's, 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 there's never enough time. There's never any enough extra time to listen to either one of those bands. I, I'm so embarrassed about my music knowledge, bro. I'm just so embarrassed. I, I, I mean, listen. I, I just, I, I listened to Los Angeles. Uh, as soon as we booked you, I kept hearing your name. Mark Marin keeps talking about your music, and I heard it, and I was like, "This fucking rips." So, well, listen to listen to the the most recent one called Alphabet Land, and. Maybe, maybe like that. I want to ask you this though, because I just found this out. Uh, me and me and Morty were talking, and he so we wrote this question because I just think it's so fascinating. We're talking about sad country songs. Uh, in the nineteen ninety two movie, The Bodyguard, your version of Dolly Parton's "I Will Always Love You," it's playing in a pivotal scene, and it inspires Whitney's character to sing it at the end of the movie. So I gotta know how did that come about, and were you even aware of how big this movie was going to be, or how big her version was going to be? Uh, no to all of that. <laughs> and, <laughs> and the way that I got involved is, uh, is that I knew Kevin and Kevin Costner and Jim Wilson, we were in kind of a acting improv, you know, fuck around and do stuff thing in LA, uh, that my friend, Michael Blake, who was a writer and Michael wrote, uh, dances with wolves, which was adapted and then won Academy Awards and shit like that. Um, and so Michael introduced me to Kevin and, and uh, Jim and Jim Wilson thought it would, you know, I could do a good version of that. And um, it's kind of a shame that that um, the, that song didn't didn't get included on the record because but then I wouldn't be here. <laughs> you would be talking to me. I would. I'd, I'd be in Hawaii. I'd be in Hawaii. And uh, oh, wait a minute. You're in Hawaii. No, he's in Hawaii. Uh, Fucking, I, he's, he's on Lua Wa'a Wi'a Terrace. There you go. <laughs> Wa'a um, Terrace. But the actually the funny thing about that is that is that the uh, the movie company or there was whoever put out whoever was you know working on the soundtrack whatever, um, they made a like a single cassette or or something you know that they were sending out to country radio stations you know, seeing if they would play my version of that. And their their biggest response was like, yeah, this is good, but we're still playing Dolly's version. So sorry. And I was like, oh, okay. I can, I can lose to, to Dolly Parton. Uh, but that was the first uh, gold record that Nick Lowe got because what's so funny about Peace, Love and Understanding is on that soundtrack. Really? On the soundtrack to Bodyguard. That is so dope. That is I, so loved, cool. I loved Whitney Houston in that. It was like Whitney without makeup. Oh my god, she was she was so natural and such a such a dream. I just love that we're skipping over that you're good friends with Kevin Costner. <laughs> I don't I don't see him much. I you know I've been around, man. I've been around, and I you know I lived in L.A. and I you know. It's the friendships that we get in in our careers. It's like there's people that you're like, oh, no, I'll never get along. And next thing you know, like, nope, I me and this dude that have nothing in common that are both in the different sides of the entertainment industry. We hit it off. And and it's great. I think that's one of the cool things. Like, 
you know, about doing this is just the, the people that you meet and, and are so talented and that we get to really connect with. Uh, and I, and I also, it's like to be able to talk to you and then to, to be able to put two and two together, uh, with, with having you in the bodyguard while well, hearing your voice, I mean, in the body, it's incredible. Um, you want to do some facts and we'll get out of here. Sure. All right. I found this fact, Morty. So if you don't get mad at me, cause I found this one, Morty writes all the facts, but I found this one. Uh, and you'll see why. In her memoir, Wishful Drinking, Carrie Fisher writes about getting a call from Dylan. He'd been asked to endorse a cologne called Just Like a Woman, but he didn't like that name and wanted her advice on alternates. So I wanted to ask <laughs> I wanted to ask you, what song title of yours would be the best name for a cologne? Uh, sex, and, sex and Dying in High Society. Nice, dude. <laughs> I was like, I was like, we, what about L.A.? Then I was like, nah, that would be too peepee smelling. It would yeah. be, be overcrowded. Yeah. It's the scent of overcrowd and high taxes. <laughs> no, sex and dying in high society, which, which is, uh, you know, that's a, a total kind of ripoff of uh, uh, fear and loathing in Las Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. Same, oh, kind, of, sure, dude. same kind of thing. For sure. What would it smell like? What would be the main note? Uh, something, uh, something awful, like like the way that orange blossoms can be so like overwhelming. You know, orange, the, the smell of orange blossom. I mean, the actual going into an orange grove or in L.A. Yeah, it's kind of it's intoxicating, but then at the same time, it's like too much. It's like, ah, uh, just really just tone it down. Just, yeah smothering you're smothering me with your sweetness <laughs> yeah. stop it all right so dylan would sometimes play the band old records for the styles that he wanted to emulate and would start and stop takes to change directions if the band wasn't getting it he would threaten them by telling them he'll just do it solo and it scared the shit out of them enough to get them to figure out what he wanted. <laughs> I love that. I, if there's anybody that you don't want to get fired by, it's Bob Dylan. You get a chance to play with Dylan, you do what the fuck Dylan wants. Um, so I got to ask you this. When you first started getting those, it started getting offered movie roles and were making solo records, was there any pushback from the band? Uh, no. No, that was like uh, with the high tides rise all the boats, and and I still believe that. Yeah, um, I, I think you know there there were a couple of times when I was working on Roswell that it was it was uh, really like the scheduling was fucked up because I never knew when they would call me to work for a week. I wasn't an actual like regular on the show. Yeah, and they would you know at at random you know. And it would only be about a 10-day uh, turnaround. It's like, okay, you're working in 10 days. It's like, shit, I've got a, a whole, you know, so sometimes I have to say I couldn't. But other times I would try to fly back and forth. And But I only missed one gig from that. Yeah, good, good, good. And they were, and they were righteously angry with me. And, and I apologized. And yeah, we rescheduled it. We're still together. There you go. You won. Don't worry. In the end, you you got it. All right. Bob saw this as the first record of a trilogy that explored pre-rock and roll American music that went on to include modern times and tougher than tougher through life. 
1985, you, Exene, uh, DJ Bonebreak, and guitarist David Alvin from the Blasters, and stand-up bassist Johnny Ray Bartell from the Red Devils, put out the first record from your Roots Band side project, The Knitters. 25 Laters, you followed it up. So I want to know, will we finally be getting the third Knitters album in 2025? Uh, if we're all still alive, yes. It's already in the works. No. Yes. I have no idea. We did that on a lark. It was like, I love the Carter family. Do you love the Carter family? Yeah, let's do, let's play this song. And the Knitters were, uh, we didn't have a name. So the very first gig that we had was doing a benefit for an after hours club that we all like to go to. Nice. Because we were such uh, booze hounds that when the bars closed at two, we thought, we're not done yet. And then somebody, uh, a friend of ours, John Pocno, uh, opened a, a place called the Zero, the Zero One Club, which was an art gallery. Sure. At, well, they did have art. They had they had actually some good art. There's art there. Time to time. <laughs> But uh, you know we were we were club members and uh, and but we needed to, we needed to sustain the club so that was the first thing we, we were gonna play just Dave Alvin and Exine and I and it's like oh shit we don't have a name what are we gonna be called and so instead of the Weavers which was like the you know quintessential folk group I said well what about the Knitters we didn't we weren't weaving we were knitting and uh, the 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 other strange thing is that Bloodshot Records from Chicago made a tribute record to the Knitters record. They they got all these other like alt country artists to do a tribute to our record, which was a tribute to like old records. So it was like oh, meta. It's very meta, but it's so great, dude. I yeah, I, I've been able to dig through a lot of a lot of your stuff uh, recently, man. Uh, once we once we got you on this, and it's I'm saying you got a fan, so I, I this is you really got a fan, and and especially with X, dude, that that first record is just it's perfect. It is a perfect record. And I don't know if you saw this recently. Mark Marin tweeted. I think I, I'm, I'm going to fuck it up, but I'm almost positive he said. Yeah, just uh, a reminder that X is a great band or something. Oh like yeah, dude. oh yeah, you saw it. Okay, yeah, I, I, somebody sent it to me, and I put it up on my Instagram. It's awesome. All right, um, this is really funny. This fact, the last fact. I Morty didn't write this one, so just to give you an idea. All right, sometime in the early 2000s. So I'm assuming right around this time. Bob Dylan decided he wanted to star in a slapstick comedy on HBO. Larry Charles, who at the time had been a main writer on Seinfeld and Mad About You, who also went on to direct Borat, got a call to meet with him. That led to a bizarre meeting with HBO, which involves someone whispering in reference to Dylan. He's like a retarded child. Um, I just wish that show would have happened. God, can you imagine the dialogue on like a sitcom, a slapstick sitcom with Bob Dylan? Just it's like, who ate all the leftovers? Bob, he's about that. <laughs> this is the intro. And they're like, whatever happened to predictability? And he just looks at the camera. <laughs> God, that would have fucking ruled. Um, would you watch the show? That's the question. I'm, I no, I'm so glad that didn't happen because, yeah, 
I'd, I would like to. I would like to know who was who was so bold to call Bob's uh, and and to say that they're retarded, which I don't think you could even say Not anymore. anymore. This was two, this was the early two thousands. Keep that in mind. Don't forget, and, and I'm, then all the listeners don't not to forget. Black Eyed Peas had a song that's called "Let's Get Retarded," and I used to play it when I DJed middle school dances, and nobody said anything. It's all like you said. You mentioned cancel culture. Shit has changed. We can't when and I and I respect all of that. I'm not shitting on any of the words or whatever. It's like oh, I get it. But the shit that we did in 1980, dude, you couldn't. They're remaking the movie Revenge of the Nerds, and I'm like, how could you remake Revenge of the? That was like <laughs> that was like a sex romp. Yeah. I literally think the main character raped the the female main character, and then she fell in love with him because he puts the mask on and then has sex with her. She thinks it's sex boyfriend. You can't uh, do that. Yeah, I, I can't say that I actually ever saw. You ever saw Revenge of the Nerds? No, I didn't. I, I, I was busy uh, punk rocking to the punk rock beat. I, sorry, I was too busy shooting hard drugs and being a fucking rebel and uh, so forth. All right, me and you, dude, we're getting some fentanyl. We're watching Revenge of the Nerds, bro. You'll come on my next podcast, The Four. That was my previous. That's my previous life. Sorry. All right, here I got th- I got four extra four other questions. The rapid fire, and then we're done. All right, favorite song on this record? God damn, um, either Moonlight or By and By. I'll I'll go with I'll go with Moonlight. Nice. Least favorite song on the record? None of them. Mm. Okay. Uh, least favorite song. Not saying it's even a bad song. Just one that you might be like, ah, I want to get to this one. You might skip over it or just because I always feel like I, I'm trying to figure out a way to phrase that where we're not offense. We're not because we're not saying it's a bad. Just you know, if there's like there's stuff the moonlight and then there's you know this one. It's a good song. Just I heard it enough. Not gonna, not gonna. I'm not gonna pick it. Okay. Sorry. All right. Okay. Well, you have to answer this next one though. I will. Okay. Two out of three. Two out of three. Two out of three. Two out of three. But you only got 20 points. All right. But this is the big one. What song on the record would you fuck to? Oh. Uh, can I can I choose all of them? <laughs> okay. We got what's what's <laughs> what are you leading with? You're opening up with Tweedly D, Tweedly Dumb. Oh, uh, <laughs> no, I'll I'll um I'll lead with um uh with the really nasty one. <laughs> uh honest with me. Nice. Nice, yeah. dude. I could tell you were a freak, John. I knew it. All right. And then uh, final question. Uh, is Bob Dylan the greatest ever? And if so, why? Yeah, Bob Dylan's the greatest ever because he changed culture. He he opened up uh, rock and roll music to poetry. And if it wasn't for him, I don't think that uh, – it would have been as easy for Jim Morrison to to come in and do his thing, and and if it wasn't for him, it wouldn't have been, you know, uh, like what what the hell does that mean? It wouldn't have been as easy for Kurt Cobain or uh, somebody else to to tackle deep subjects, and I you know I, with a song like Hurricane, you know nobody yeah. was talking about nobody was talking about that kind of inequality or. Uh, even way back, you know, the uh, death of Hattie Carroll, which was historical about about some rich bastard killing a slave because she didn't do what he wanted to or whatever. So, um, and also, uh, I, uh, he's the greatest for longevity, him and Willie, you know, and 
a few others. It's a per- perfect answer. Because I, I, I mean, I, as I said it, I was like, God, that's such a hard question to answer. And you're like, you nailed it. Uh, I, I, and he also doesn't give a shit. That's the big thing. That's real rock and roll. That's the most punk rock thing you can do is not give a shit. Right. And, and you know, everybody said he lost his mind when he, you know, had uh, had the band back him up and went electric and all that kind of stuff and had, you know, he doesn't care. He doesn't he's care. Doing, he's doing his thing. Um, I mean this from the bottom of my heart, John. Uh, I can't thank you enough. I had such a good time talking with you, buddy. And um, so if you have anything you want to promote, uh, please do. I know you have the new record. Just whatever you want to promote. Go ahead. Oh Jesus! Uh, yeah, just, uh, <laughs> I'm not a I'm not a self promoter, uh, ex- except that there there is a really good X record called Alphabet Land. It's on Fat Possum Records. Um, I'm going to do a show, an internet show, on Thursday, the day after um, inauguration day, and it's uh, it's on a platform called Mandolin. Uh, it's on my Instagram. Eight o'clock uh, Central Time on Thursday, the 21st. Perfect. And we'll, we'll promote the fuck out of it for you to make sure all the listeners, cause this comes out on Wednesday. Uh, and also the movie, don't forget the movie that's in the can. Yeah. DOA. DOA. That's, that's, you know, it's still being edited. So it's not really in the can then. Oh no, it's in the can, but it's, but it's still, they're, they're opening the can up every once in a while to tinker with it. Exactly. They're, they're in the, they're in the midst of actually they're doing the soundtrack, which is, uh, frightening, but, uh, yeah. There's going to have to be some more voiceover and shit like that. So, all right, I love it, John. I, I had such a great time. Thank you, buddy. It's my pleasure, man. This was this was more fun than I thought it was going to be. Yes. What did I tell you? What did I tell you? The one and only John Doe. I can't thank John enough for coming on. So make sure you get Alphabet Land, the new record from X, and be on the lookout for DOA, his new movie. But go out and watch Roadhouse now if you've never seen it. Follow him on Instagram at T-H-E-E-J-O-H-N-D-O-E. And you can follow him on Twitter at John Doe from X or go to his website, johndoe.com. Now, we just listened to Bob Dylan from 2001. For new music this week, Lil Matty Pinfield picked David Ramirez. And you are listening to the title track from his latest album, My Love is a Hurricane. David Ramirez is a singer-songwriter from Austin, Texas, whose emotional performances have made him a rising star of the Americana scene. Endorsed by Jason Isbell and Wilco, and compared to one of his idols, Bob Dylan, David toured relentlessly to sold-out intimate venues across America before fucking COVID hit and shut them all down. My Love is a Hurricane is his fifth full-length album to date. I love this song. You're going to dig it, too. Find all the links on the website, 500podcast.com. And if you were in a band and were directly influenced by one of these albums or artists and you want your music featured on the 500, send us your song, 500podcast at gmail.com. Put the album and the artist that influenced you in the subject line. Next week is the Who Week as we go deep into the 66 sophomore record, A Quick One. It is quick. If you haven't listened, do your homework. Stay fleecy. Doogle doo. August of 83, Alicia came to wreck my city. Six days before I was born, I'd like to think that was some kind of warning. They say there's power in the rain, I find more power in my name. 
Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimbut the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! Hey, this is Steve Choi, host of the Musicians Guild podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Within the four walls of the Musicians Guild, we'll be discussing the habits, idiosyncrasies, experiences, and general psychology of my friends and peers, all involved with music in various capacities. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. Next Chapter Podcasts.